0: When I say the word lion, I'm sure there are a number of images that pop into your head. Chief among them is probably a large golden cat, perched on top of a rock, mane dancing in the warm breeze. He peers down at the females sitting and lounging in the grasses underneath him. Then, that male lion pierces the silence of the savanna with a booming roar that resonates over the land. That, or you probably just imagine Simba from The Lion King. Either way, Today's episode is all about the African lion. Welcome to Mythozoology. and this is Mythozoology, where each episode we will be taking a look at the legends, myths, and misunderstandings that surround the amazing animals that inhabit our world. For today we are going to be delving into the world of the lion. The lion has been a part of human culture for a very long time, literally tens of thousands of years, and it has played a prominent role in our culture's legends and theologies over that entire period. So much so there is no way I'd be able to do any of it justice by packing it all into just one episode. Instead, I'll be choosing to put my focus on a few of the more interesting cases that I've come across while researching for today. If you would like to hear more about the lion, you can let the show know and I can certainly come back to it sometime in the future. Contact info will be at the end of today's episode. Well, now with that out of the way, let's get started the same way we always do. The lion is a member of the big cat group, to which it is actually the second largest cat species on earth, behind the tiger. Some males have been seen weighing up to 550 pounds. Lions have a yellowish-brown coat, with a skinny tail that has a tuft of fur on the end of it. The males of the species bear that oh-so-famous mane. It is listed as vulnerable by the IUCN, with its population still decreasing to this day. The lion is native to Sub-Saharan Africa, with an endangered remnant population still located in the Gir forest in India. Though this is their range in today's world, their native habitat used to be much more vast, spanning most of Africa, and even up north into parts of Asia and Europe. This is why you see lions so prominently figured in the mythos of European, and specifically Mediterranean, cultures. Lions are also the only cat species known to live in groups. These groups are called prides and only consist of one to two males and multiple females that are all related. When a female has cubs, the male cubs will stay with the pride until adolescence and then leave. The female cubs will grow up staying with the pride. In their pride, the genders have roles that they have to fill. Males will defend the territory from other lions and large predators. This territory can range up to 100 square miles that they will scent mark using their urine. The females of the group are the primary hunters. And though this was thought to be the norm for a very long time, nature loves those exceptions. Bachelor prides consisting of only males have been spotted in recent years. Just like with many popular animals, there exists what the public believes are the facts of a species and then there's the truth that tends to be a bit more murky let's look at the misconceptions of the lion. Despite there being a whole song about it, the lion does not sleep in the jungle, nor is the lion the king of the jungle per se. That's because the lion does not live in the jungle. They prefer grasslands, semi-desert-like environments, and open plains. This is where their hunting style is most successful and where their colors best blend in to help them hunt as well. This notion of lions living in the jungle probably just came about because king of the jungle sounds better than king of the desert-like open plain. Another misconception is that all male lions have manes and only male lions can grow manes. This is false as well. In Savo National Park of southeast Kenya, there have been males spotted who have no manes. A theory for this change is that the lions shed themselves of the thick manes as a way to stay cool in the extreme heat of the region. In Botswana, there have recently been female lions photographed that have naturally grown manes of their own. These discoveries have happened relatively recently, so it seems understandable that this idea hasn't reached the public consciousness yet. The lion has a prominent place in culture throughout the ages. It is often referred to as the king of animals or some variation of this. The lion is admired for its strength and regal appearance. Its image is seen throughout Asian, European, and of course African culture. Most commonly used as a symbol of royalty, stateliness, and bravery, the lion has played some interesting roles throughout the history of man. The first evidence of its presence in our culture can currently be traced back to cave paintings in southern France that are believed to be 32,000 years old. One of the most easily recognizable structures in the world was inspired by the lion. This would be the Sphinx located on the Giza Plateau. There is no consensus on when the Sphinx was built, but the commonly held theory is that it was commissioned by the 4th Dynasty King Khafre between 2558 and 2532 BCE. Based on the mythical creature of the same name, the Sphinx has the body of a lion and the head of a king or god. Believed to be sculpted in the image of Khafre himself, the Sphinx has taken some punishment over the years. Though once thought to be very colorful, most of the paint on the structure's exterior has been weathered away over the thousands of years this structure has lasted in the harsh Egyptian landscape. It has lost its beard, and more famously its nose. I can remember many cartoons as I was growing up mocking the ways the Sphinx could have lost its nose. A commonly held myth was that this nose was blown off the Sphinx's face by Napoleon himself. But this couldn't be the case as photographs dating back before Napoleon ever arrived in Egypt clearly show that the sphinx's nose was missing already. It's believed that the nose was instead shot off by the Turks during the Turkish period. The mythical creature that the grand structure was based on occurs in both Egyptian and Greek art and culture. Typically it is seen to represent wisdom. When a similar image can be found across different cultures, the details that accompany that image tend to change a little bit from interpretation to interpretation, just like a game of telephone. Out of the different variations of the Sphinx, the winged Sphinx of Boeotian Thebes is one of the more famous incarnations. This creature was said to have terrorized the people of Thebes, demanding an answer to a riddle that was taught to her by the muses and devouring whoever answered incorrectly. The riddle goes, what has one voice but becomes four-footed? then two-footed, and then three-footed. It was Oedipus who answered with the correct response, human, as they start out crawling on all fours, then stand upright, and finally walk with the help of a cane. At this answer, the sphinx then devoured itself. Keeping in line with the Greek theme, there is the story of the Nimean lion. The Nimean lion is a story from ancient Greece of a monstrous lion that just like the winged sphinx, terrorized the area it was named for, Nemea. He was said to be the sire of Typhon and Echidna. And I mean the half-woman, half-snake monster, not the little mammal with spikes that lays eggs. But wouldn't that be cute to have a little lion cub come from a tiny little Echidna, seeing that cub slurping up milk just like baby Echidna's... No. No, I shouldn't get off track, but I'll make a note and come back to Echidnas later. Anyways... The Nemean lion had fur that was impenetrable to mortal weapons. It would capture women and then drag them back to his cave in order to lure in warriors. The demigod Hercules, or Heracles, was charged by King Eurystheus with vanquishing the beast and bringing back the hide of the lion as proof of his conquest. This was the first of the 12 labors of Hercules. When Hercules finally encountered the beast, he found that his arrows were no use against the lion's fur. Seeing that the lion's cave only had two entrances, Hercules devised a plan. He blocked off one entrance of the cave, and then went in after the lion to confront it head-on. Hercules fought the beast and subdued it by strangling the lion to death. With the Nimean lion now defeated, Hercules set about the task of skinning the lion, though no matter what he tried, he couldn't penetrate the fur. Athena appeared in front of Hercules to aid him. She informed him that the only way to pierce the lion's fur is by its own claws. And so it was that Hercules emerged from the cave 30 days later with a lion's pelt by his side. The Nemean lion's pelt makes a blink and you'll miss it cameo in the 1997 Disney film Hercules. If you have any preconceived notions of character traits that animals may have, it is more than likely because you grew up listening to Aesop's fables. Aesop was a slave who was believed to live around 600 BCE. His classic tales have been told millions of times over to children throughout history, usually involving anthropomorphized animals and always ending with some sort of moral to live by. We all know these stories, such as the tortoise and the hare. It's because of these tales that we view the fox as sly, the hare as overconfident, the crow as smart, and of course, the lion as full of pride. Aesop constructed a number of stories involving the lion as a primary character, with one of the most famous being the story of the lion and the mouse. You know, I'm sensing a theme with these titles. The story goes that one day a lion was resting as a mouse ran up and down the lion's back. This, of course, woke the lion up. With one swipe of his mighty paw, he grasped the mouse in his hand and opened up his jaws to swallow the small mammal. Before he could, the mouse cried out, Oh, please forgive me this one time. I promise I shall never forget it. Who knows? There could come a day that I can repay you the service." The lion found this very amusing and started to laugh. He found the idea of such a small animal being able to help him so funny that he lifted his paw and let the mouse go. A while later, the lion found himself ensnared in a hunter's trap. The hunter, wanting his prize kept alive to present to the king tied the lion to a tree and went off in search of a wagon to carry the lion on so that he may bring him into the city. I have no idea how one full-grown man was able to subdue and overpower a lion enough to restrain him to a tree, but we're also talking about a story where animals are using spoken language, so maybe it's not best to sweat the details. Along came the mouse and saw the lion in his predicament. The little mouse went over and started gnawing on the ropes, cutting away the lion's bindings. The lion sprang away from the tree, now free. The mouse looked up at him and said, see, was I not right? The moral of this story is that you should never underestimate the value of even the tiniest creature, because even small friends can be great friends. The last story I have today comes from East Africa. It is the Swahili tale of the trapper, the lion, and the hare. In many African tales, The lion takes on a different character trope from the one we see pop up in Aesop's fables. In this tale, the lion's character is that of the oppressor. The tale goes that once a trapper met a lion in the forest. "'Don't you know I'm the king of the forest?' said the lion. "'I have not given you permission to hunt here.' The trapper was apologetic. He pleaded. "'I did not know, great lion. Please tell me how I can make amends.' So the lion instructed the trapper that he may hunt in those woods and keep the meat of anything he captures. However, the trapper must present the lion with the tasty liver and heart of anything he gets." This arrangement worked out fine until the trapper's wife started to get suspicious. She thought that the reason he never brought back the heart or liver of his kills was because he must have been giving them to another woman. The next day, the trapper went into the forest to set his traps and his wife followed him soon after, wanting to catch him in the act. The trapper had set up his traps and later went back to check on him. Neither the first nor second trap had been sprung, but at the third trap he encountered the lion who had the trapper's wife pinned to the ground. Cut out the heart and liver of this animal and give them to me. That is our arrangement, the lion ordered. I can't, protested the trapper. That's not an animal. That's my wife!" The lion did not believe him. He ordered the trapper once again to cut up his wife or he would kill them both. It was at that point that a hare appeared from behind a rock. That isn't his wife, and I can prove it if you follow me, the hare said. The lion, the trapper, and his wife all followed the hare over to the second trap. As the hare approached the trap, he hopped aside at the last moment, leaving the lion to be caught in the snare. The hare yelled at the trapper and his wife to run and all three of them sprinted away from the lion. The lion was able to free himself from the snare days later. Enraged, he made his way to the hare's house where he grabbed hold of the hare. Be careful, the hare shouted, pointing up at a boulder perched over the entrance of his house. The boulder is falling and will kill us both. The lion let go of the hare who then ran off once again. The lion gave chase. And was fooled by the hare in different ways several times until one day the hare came up to the lion and said i'm sick of running from you can i instead become your servant the lion agreed and ordered the hare to cook his dinner the hare cooked up a piece of fat and fed it to the lion the lion tasted it and he liked it a lot hurry up and cook the rest the lion ordered i'm very hungry so when the lion opened his mouth the hare placed a red hot rock inside The lion swallowed, and the rock burned him up from the inside, killing him. From then on, the hare and the trapper were free to do as they pleased. Um, wow. That took a kind of dark turn. I guess the moral is don't upset a rabbit? Well, now let's move on to our next section and take a look at today's mythical beast. One of the more famous mythical beasts that takes inspiration from the lion is the griffin. The griffin can be seen everywhere throughout our culture. Dating back to stories in Egypt and Greece, all the way up to modern times in our fantasy stories, and as mascots of our sports teams, the griffin has been ever-present as a symbol of strength. A griffin is a hybrid creature that has the torso, back legs, and tail of a lion, and the head, wings, and front legs of an eagle. While we already know that the lion is known as the king of beasts, it's also stated that the eagle is considered to be the king of all birds, so combining the two animals together creates a beast with no equal. The origins of the griffin date back as far as 4000 BCE to ancient Egypt and Persia. There have also been paintings found of griffins on the Isle of Crete in Bronze Age palaces. and the Persian Empire? it was seen as a protector against evil, witchcraft, and slander. In other cultures, it was perceived as a symbol of power and majesty. We see hybrid creatures present throughout history. Whether it's a half-lion, half-eagle, half-man, half-beast, or any other combination that may pop into your head, these ideas have piqued human interest for as long as we can remember. A reason for this can probably be seen in the combination of the griffin. Taking the power and regality of one of the most revered land animals and combining it with the majesty and ability of the eagle creates a superpowered beast that represents the ultimate of everything we fantasize about in the animal kingdom. There is an attractiveness and power that humankind can never seem to separate itself from, which is more than likely why we are attracted to mythical creatures such as these or powerful cats like the lion in the first place. From beasts and legends of our past, to the stories of today, let's take a look at lions in modern popular culture. (sighs) Okay, I'm gonna try and run through a list of every lion character to appear in movies and television. This is gonna be a long list, so if I missed one of your favorites, I apologize and feel free to email me. Also for this list, I'm going to try and include only characters that have names. Sorry, rest of the pride in Lion King. All right, here we go. Aslan, Chronicles of Narnia, Simba, Nala, Scar, Mufasa, Sarabi, Serafina, Lion King, Braveheart Lion, Care Bears, Alex, Madagascar, Bester, Katagyoshi, Hitman, Reborn, Irma, Rajagaiwaruwa, Tenshi Muyo, JXP, Fred, George of the Jungle Animated Series, Kimba, Panja, Eliza, Kimba, the White Lion, Lion, Steven Universe, Lippy, Lippy the Lion and Hardy Har Har, Leo, Looney Tunes, Parsley, The Herbs, Makunga, Titsi, Zuba, Madagascar 2, Samson and Ryan, The Wild, Mare Lionheart, Zootopia, The Cowardly Lion, Wizard of Oz, Prince John and King Richard, Robin Hood, Kovu, Kiara, Sarabi, Kopu, Kion, Nuka, Lion King sequels, Lion O, Thundercats, Larry, Sierra, Kate, Hunter, Sarmody, Edna, Father of the Pride. Jasmine, Secondhand Lions. Major, Napoleon and Samantha. Suki, Dark, Harry, Pride. Lambert, Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Fagan, Fearless Fagan. Socrates, Animals United. Fluffy, Fluffy. Elsa, Living Free. Joe and Janet, Zookeeper and lions also appear as unnamed protagonists in movies like Buona Devil, Prey, and Savage Harvest. Oof, I think it's pretty clear to say lions remain a huge part of our culture. While it doesn't always come to mind when you think about lions in pop culture, the MGM lion is about as synonymous with movies as anything else over the past hundred years. The story of the main feline that roars before every MGM production It's a fascinating one. If you look closely at the lion over the years through many of MGM's movies, you'll notice that the lion has some drastic changes in appearance. Well, that's actually because there have been multiple lions used to create the iconic image of the studio. The first lion appeared in 1917, and his real name was Slats. I say real name because for marketing purposes, the studio dubbed this lion Leo. Normally, I'd let an uninspired name like that slide, but seriously guys, your studio's entire job is to come up with creative new stories and properties to show the public, and you can't come up with anything better besides naming it Lion and Latin? <sighs> now that I've gotten that out of my system. There are a few different theories on why the studio chose to use the King of Beasts as their mascot. One idea states that the studio's designer did it as a nod to his alma mater, Columbia University, whose mascot is the lion. Another story says that it was decided by one of the studio's co-founders, Marcus Lowe, whose name was associated with the German word for lion. Either way, Slatz was chosen to be put on the silver screen, and the rest is history. That we will be digging into right now. Slatz was retired in 1928 and died in 1936, where he was buried at the home of his trainer. The next lion stepped up, one that went by the name of Jackie, and he added something that made the image truly iconic. Up to this point, the Lion logo had been silent since movies were silent back then as well. But with the advent of sound, Jackie was able to add his roar to the opening logo and inspire countless parodies throughout movies and television. Jackie then retired in 1931 before his eventual passing in 1935. We get a bit biblical here, as Tanner took over in 1934 before George took over for him in 1956 before George was eventually replaced by the lion that you still see in films today, Leo, in 1957. And yes, that was his name both officially and unofficially, and yes, it does irk me a little. While you'll still see the same lion in use today that was used all the way back in the late 50s, you'll notice that his appearance has changed some throughout the years. Leo was brought on to be the logo lion younger than any of his predecessors so that as he was used over the years, his appearance changed as he grew up. While this is the end of the factual tale of the MGM lions, these lions, just like any figure in the Hollywood spotlight, have been the subject of rumor and scandals. One rumor speculates that Slats actually mauled and killed his original trainer. Another says that Jackie wasn't actually supposed to roar for the camera during his filming for his logo shoot. The rumor goes that a couple of bank robbers were running from the cops after a heist. They tried to hide in the same warehouse where MGM was shooting, and Jackie roared at them, then proceeded to maul one robber and chase the other into the street where he got run over by a bus. Neither of these stories can be supported by any evidence, but seeing as this is a myth-based podcast, I thought it would be interesting to share these stories with you. Before we move on to our last segment, I wanted to discuss a quick disclaimer in regards to the MGM Lions. These lions were worked in close and unprotected contact with their trainers back in the early 20th century. Modern training methods like positive reinforcement training were only just being formulated by B.S. Skinner in the 1930s and 40s, and it would be a while still until his ideas would become widely accepted as the best way currently available to train animals. Close contact with such dangerous predators is not the norm anymore, and most, if not all reputable places would never even think about putting their trainers in that dangerous of a situation. I do not condone or recommend ever being in close contact with dangerous predators like lions and it would be my suggestion that you either altogether avoid or do some serious research into facilities that would allow their employees or guests to be put in such dangerous situations. Now let's move on to the last segment for this episode, the conservation conversation. For this episode, I wanted to highlight the African Wildlife Foundation. Started in 1961, the African Wildlife Foundation's statement is, AWF is the leading international conservation organization focused solely on Africa. For over 50 years, we have worked to ensure the wildlife and wildlands of Africa will endure forever. The foundation is in charge of many different programs that stretch all over the continent. One such program is the Ruaha Carnivore Project. This project is focused on the Ruaha National Park in Tanzania. Their goal is to educate the public that live in villages that surround the park and teach them how to peacefully live with the predators that call the park home. They also provide help and support to the villages that show success living in peace with Africa's top predators as an incentive. Their hope is that through this program, they can continue to establish healthy and sustainable populations of some of Africa's most charismatic animals inside the Ruaha National Park. For more information and ways that you can support the African Wildlife Foundation, visit their website at awf.org. That's all I have for this episode. There is so much on lions that stretches back throughout all of history. I may come back and do a second episode on them if there's a want for it but there are so many legends and misunderstandings to explore in the meantime. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend or the person behind you at the grocery store. And if you have any comments or questions for the show, or want to share some of your favorite lion stories, you can reach us at mythozoologypodcast at gmail.com. And go ahead and head over to our Facebook page and leave a like while you're at it at Mythozoology Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll explore how public consensus can turn an opportunistic thief into a national hero. Till then, be well and keep learning.